0: And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. We are continuing our study this morning through the book of Exodus. If you're uh, new with us this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're watching from at home for the first time, welcome. If you're in our overflow area, welcome. We're glad you're here. We've been studying through the book of Exodus verse by verse to try to get a better picture of who the Lord is, of who the Israelites are, and we're seeing the glory and the majesty uh, and the truth of the Lord working through these people as they've now left Egypt through a series of plagues. He's led them out of Egypt. He's brought them through the Red Sea. They're wandering through the wilderness, and now for 40 years, They're going to wander, they're going to seek the Lord, they're going to try to learn to trust him, and we've been seeing really from the beginning that the Lord is an integral part of their lives. From the moment he re-entered the picture at the burning bush, all the way until we see last week and the week before where he's provided manna and then water from the rock, and then last week we made the connection that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians, that Jesus is the rock. And you can go back and listen to that sermon if you want to hear it. But we're just seeing over and over the majesty and the glory of the Lord. And I pray that as you've studied through this and as, you've under, uh, as you're beginning to understand more and more about who the Lord is, I pray that He uh, challenges you and encourages you. And I pray that you really do see His majesty. And you see his power really throughout this account. One writer explained it like this, kind of what the children of Israel are learning in the wilderness. He said, here's what Israel was learning in the wilderness. God saves, no whining. That's a good one. Trust your leaders. God will guide you, protect you, and provide for you. He will always be with you. These were the basic spiritual lessons that God's people learned during their long pilgrimage through the desert. Now we're going to jump right in this morning because we've got a lot to cover and a lot of things I want you to see. So Exodus chapter 17, we're going to pick up in verse 8. Something's going to happen this morning that has not happened so far in our account. Here we go, Exodus 17 verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand, right? So they've been attacked. It's the first time this has happened. Moses explains to Joshua to go find some men to fight. Moses says, I'm going to go up on the mountainside with the staff of God in my hand, verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of the Lord. The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background here. This is the first time we've seen the Israelites fight a battle. It won't be the last time we'll see it again. But for the first time, they've been attacked. They are under siege. And so the Lord kind of walks through this process with him, explaining them what they need to do. Now, we don't read a lot in Exodus 17 about this battle. We don't get a lot of background, a lot of story of what's taking place. But in Deuteronomy 25, Moses kind of retells the story. And so you don't have to look it up, but I want you to listen to exactly how Moses describes this. This It's going to help us understand what's happening in Exodus 17. Moses says in Deuteronomy 25, 17, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. Listen, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail those who were lagging behind you and he did not fear God. Right, so Moses gives us a little context here, right? And we're going to connect this to our lives here in just a second. Moses gives us context. Listen, Amalek attacked you. He attacked the people that were dragging behind. Maybe they were sick or older or children, whatever the case may be. They kind of came out of nowhere. It was a surprise attack, and they tried to defeat you. Now, we're learning about the people of Israel we're learning about their journey in the wilderness. We're learning how the Lord walked with them. But there are all sorts of spiritual lessons that we can learn from this account as well that apply to our lives today. So, as we think about the people of Israel falling under attack, as we think about the people of Israel being attacked in secret when they were weak, I want to consider this morning times when we're attacked. I want you to think just for a few minutes about times when you've fallen under attack. Maybe you were weak. Maybe it kind of snuck up on you because you know either you've been attacked, you've been through difficulty in the past, you're going through it now or at some point in the future, it's gonna happen. So what can we learn from the people of Israel? How did they respond? How did Moses specifically respond while under attack? And how do we find victory in the Lord? So I'm gonna give you three major ideas right out of this text. We're going to walk through it together. We're going to figure out how we can apply it to our lives, right? So here's the first truth. As we think about how do we respond, as we think about victory in the battles that we face, number one, we find victory, first of all, through prayer. Now listen, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, if you don't hear any other truth, any other point, anything else I say for the next few minutes, I want you to remember this. If you're going to have victory in your life, over the struggles that you're facing, it's only going to happen through prayer. If you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not trusting the Lord, then you're not going to see the victory you hope to find. Now listen, we're really good about talking about prayer, aren't we? In fact, if I were to go around the room and ask you about prayer, every person would say, yeah, it's important. Yeah, we need to do it. We have all the right answers. We can explain it. We talk about it in Sunday school. We talk about it in our small groups. We know it's a big deal, but listen, this is really, really important. This is the connection we need to make. Talking about it and understanding it, those things aren't enough if you're not actually doing it. Because we're really good about giving all the right answers. Are we actually praying? Now, Moses does something he's never done here. Right, these people are under attack. Moses says to Joshua, listen, I need you to go and find some guys to fight. Now, the children of Israel are not soldiers. Right? Remember, they've been enslaved for generations. They've just come out of Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. There's no training. There's no sophisticated weaponry or tactics. And so Moses says, listen, Joshua, I need you to gather some guys together, go get some swords, and go fight this trained army. Right? It's kind of silly to think about. But Moses says, listen, here's the key to this. As you're fighting them, as you're in battle, I'm going to go up on the top of this hill. I'm going to take the staff with me that the Lord has given me. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to call out to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to see victory, not because of what you're doing down in the valley, but because of what the Lord's doing honoring my prayer. You see the difference there? So Moses goes up on this mountain, he begins to pray, he begins to seek the Lord. As long as his hands are raised, calling out upon the Lord, the Israelites are victorious. As his hands begin to fall, they begin to lose. Now you probably already know this, but just in case you don't, let me give you just a little refresher course here. The Bible is filled with this idea of prayer. In fact, we see scripture after scripture that talk about prayer. Now listen, I'm going to step on your toes just for a second, so be prepared, right? What the Bible doesn't say is that we should pray at the end of the day, after we've done everything else we can possibly do, right? So we've worked all day, we've come home, we've gone to soccer practice, football practice, baseball dance, whatever it might be. We've eaten dinner, we've watched our favorite television show or movie. We've spent an hour or so on social media. We spent some time with our spouse. We're exhausted, and just before we go to bed, we give God the last three minutes, and then we feel real good about it, knowing oh, I'm so spiritual. So spiritual, I have my quiet time. Listen, something is better than nothing. By the way, I've been there and am there some days too, if I'm just being completely honest. But the Bible doesn't say give them the, the last of whatever you finish and everything else is done. In fact, what we read scripturally are verses like Colossians 4, to devote yourselves to prayer. That's a good word, devotion. First Thessalonians five, sixteen and seventeen say, says, Rejoice always and pray continually. Right, maybe maybe our greatest example is Jesus. Because what we see Jesus doing is is sacrificing everything about who he is. We know he gives up his life at the end, but he sacrifices his time and his energy. And oftentimes what we see is he does these incredible miracles, and then he has to sneak away to get by himself so he can pray. Matthew 14, 23 says, After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to, you want to guess, pray. Pray. Mark 1.35, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Right? If we're really going to see victory in our lives, if we're really going to see the Lord move and change us and change the circumstances around us, it's only going to happen when we pray. Jesus gives this great model of prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the the sermon on the mountain, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus goes up on the mountainside and preaches. And in Matthew 6, he gives us this model prayer. And he says in these verses, in verses 5, 6, and 7, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, right? Not if, but when. And then he gives us this little model. So I'm going to give you just just a real simple way you can remember, just a real simple model you can use when you pray. Because as the Lord explains it to his disciples, there's a very specific process they go through when they pray. So let's pull that next screen up and let's just look at this together. It's Acts. And some of you may have seen this before. Some of you may pray like this. For others, this may be brand new, but this is a real simple, very practical way you can pray. So every time you pray, you start at the top. You start with this idea of adoration. Most of us, when we pray, we kind of jump right into what we need. Lord, I need this, and I need you to fix this, and there's a situation at work, and then this, and we kind of give them our to-do list, right? But that's not really the model that Christ teaches, In fact, Christ teaches this idea that when we begin to pray, we start with adoration, right? You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We talk about the glory and the majesty of exactly who the Lord is. The reason we do that is it puts it in right perspective, right? He is God and we are not. So we start with this idea of adoration. The second thing we do is confession. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of the things I've done that have separated myself from you, right? Forgive me of what I said today at work. None of y'all have ever had to pray that prayer, I'm sure, right? (laughs) Forgive me that thought I had. Forgive me that I said this or I did that, right? It's this process of, Lord, forgive me. I'm confessing my sins. I'm asking you yet again, Lord, to forgive me, right? So adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for all you've given. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my family. Thank you for providing me a job so I can put food on the table. Thank you for all the things you've done for me. And then the last thing, right, so far we haven't asked him to do anything. Right, adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, finally, supplication, right? We petition the Lord for the things we need, asking, really begging for something honestly, humbly to the Lord, right? So after we've told him that he's God and we're not, after we've confessed our sins, after we've thanked him for all he's done to bless us, then we ask him for what we need. If you actually look at the model in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord says, Jesus says, we should ask first of all for the Lord's will to be done on heaven as it is on earth before we actually ask for anything we need. It's an interesting model. Right? We, we kind of put the, the cart before the horse, so to speak. We ask him for all these things in prayer first. That's really the last thing we do. Why? Because it puts us in right perspective. He is God. We are not. He is holy. We are not. He's provided all the things we need. Thank you for all that you've done, Lord. Now, would you please work in these situations? If you're going to have victory in your life, it's only going to happen through Prayer. Here's the second thing I want you to see. This one right out of Exodus 17. Victory through community. Right? We see victory through prayer. Moses goes up on the mountain. He holds up his hands. He cries out to the Lord. As his hands are raised, Israel is victorious. As his hands drop, they begin to lose. Right? Victory through prayer. But the problem we see is that Moses gets tired. Moses can't stand there all day and keep his hands up. If you ever stood there with your hands raised, it's fine for the first little while. But after a few minutes, they get pretty heavy, right? They get tired. And so Moses has these men to come around him. They surround him. And the Bible says that they basically hold his hands up. Verse 12, Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands. One on one side and the other on the other side. Right, here's what we need to understand. If we're going to be victorious in life, we need people around us that are willing to support and help and love us. Right? Christianity is not an individual sport. Right? There's a sense of this individual decision we make to Christ, of course. We're going to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Only you can make that decision. But once you've chosen to follow Christ... There's this scriptural mandate that we do it in community where there are other people around us, people that love us, that care about us, that want to walk with us. Listen, every person should have somebody or some group in their lives that ask them the hard questions. You need to have a group of people. Men, you need to have some men in your life. Ladies, you need to have some ladies in your life. You need to have people that you give permission for them to ask you difficult questions, to challenge you, to help you grow in your walk, to lift you up when you fall. Not only do you need people in your life that do that for you, you need to be that in somebody else's life. So, whose arms are you helping to hold up? Who are you walking through the fire with? How are you living in community? How are you finding victory through community in your life? Now, you heard already, Wendy did a great job talking about mission opportunities. And we are kind of rebooting, right? If you don't know, we sent mission teams all over the world until COVID. We sent 17, 18 trips a year all over the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you went on those trips. COVID stopped that. We're trying to reboot that, and we hope we can get back in a lot of these places this summer. But let me just say this. I've always said it, and I'm gonna say it again. You don't have to get on an airplane to be a missionary. You don't even have to leave your area. You don't have to leave your neighborhood. Right? There are opportunities all over the place for you to serve and be missional and to share the love of Christ. Here's the thing I love about mission work. You don't have to have a Official plan from the church to do it. Did you know that? Some of y'all are like, well, as soon as they get a, a list up on the website, as soon as they pick another place to go, I'll go. Then I'll be a missionary, right? As soon as the church plans for us to go out in the community and share, I'll show up on a Saturday morning and I'll go. Those things are good, and we're going to do those things. But the best sort of mission work, now listen to me. The best mission work is when you feel called to the Lord to do it yourself, You go and do the work, and I hear about it after it's over. Those are the best mission trips. Because when we mobilize into the world through the calling of the Spirit in our lives, that's when he receives the glory, and that's when great things happen. See, we need to surround ourselves with people that are going to challenge us to go. We need to surround ourselves with people that are going to challenge us to walk. We're going to challenge ourselves with people that we love and serve. We're going to walk through these difficulties with them on mission, around the world, and right here in LaGrange. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and, and it's, a, it's kind of a difficult story, so, so allow me a, just a little space here to kind of explain it, and I'm going to bring it all together here in the end. But let me start with a, a simple question. How many of you have read the book, Redeeming Love, by Francine Rivers? Be honest. How many have read it? Okay. Now, put your hands down. How many men have read it? Look, me too, John. John, Oliver, and I. I'll talk to you about it tomorrow. We'll go get some coffee and talk about it. Look, my wife, I think it's the, 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 maybe the greatest selling Christian novel of all time. I mean, it's on up there. And Amy read it years ago and loved it. It was on me to read it. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really need to read a Christian romance novel. I just don't really need to read that. But she kept on and kept on. So I read it begrudgingly, Right. The, the more I read, the more I liked it. And if I'm being completely honest, by the end of the book, the last chapter, I'm just laying in bed at night just crying, <laughs> just crying. It's such a beautiful story. Now the movie is out. I don't know how, I don't know how good the movie is. The book is phenomenal, right? So, Set that aside. I need you to understand about redeeming love. It's really the story of Hosea in the Bible, kind of told in modern terms, and it's about redemption and love and how God rescues people that sometimes are are unrescuable, if that's even a word, right? It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. Now, set that aside just for a second. Beverly Garner, many of you know Miss Beverly. I think she might be in here, right there in the back. I want you to listen to something she said to me. I'm gonna explain to you how I found out about this. This is June of 2014 this started. Here's what she said. She said, I've been praying for the girls, and let me just give you a little bit of uh, uh, background here as well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this in as um, generic of terms as I can, because they're little ears, right? When I say the girls in the establishment, these are girls that work as exotic dancers in an establishment here in LaGrange, okay? Out past Walmart. So, I mean, I know where it is. I've never personally, you know, I just... <laughs> I've been told, so I'm just, (laughs) just right back to this. Let's just keep moving. So here's what she says. She said, I've been praying for the girls who work there, right? For about 15 years, she said, she's been praying for these people and asking God to help them get out of there. Whenever I would pass by, I would pray for them. I wanted to go see them, but didn't know how without asking my husband to go with me. And that was not a great idea, she said. So she here's a story, a testimony on on TV about another lady who'd done this. And here's what she says. As I watched her testimony on TV, it dawned on me that this was the answer I had been praying for for a decade and a half. So here's what she did. I called this establishment and talked to the manager. I asked if a group of us women might bring dinner to these girls one night a week before most of the customers came in. He said, I don't have a problem with that, but why would you do that? I told him, we just wanted to let them know they were cared about and loved by Jesus and us. And he said we could come the next week. So Stacey Hummer had told me for years that she wanted to go and help me. That's a girl in our church. Mackenzie Hudson, now Barlow, had also shared her passion for human trafficking. See how the Lord's working in all these people's hearts, Right. So, Mackenzie shared our plans with Amy Cam. That's my Amy. That's how kind of I entered this picture, heard the story. So, Amy generously gave 10 books of redeeming love, right? We're making that connection there, to give to these ladies on that first night. This is just such a great story. She said, We took casseroles and crock pots. I just can't even imagine. (laughs) Tablecloths and a vase of flowers, plus redeeming love books. This lady, I might not give her name, was one of the first girls to come and talk to me and I immediately loved her. She had kind of an innocence that transcended the environment. I learned that her mother had died when she was seven. Their dad had remarried and the stepmom didn't want them, so they wound up in foster care until they aged out. She'd been married to a severely abusive man but escaped when her baby was one. By the way, most of the women in these environments are not there because they want to be. They're there because of horrific circumstances has led them, and that's the only way they think they can make it. So she read the book we'd given her and made a decision to somehow get out of this business. Now listen, she was saved, became part of the praise team at a local church, has gone to Costa Rica twice on mission trips, Her posts on Facebook are some of the most beautifully written about God that I've ever read. She writes beautiful songs to the Lord, paints scripture wall art, and personalized gifts. She and her girls are family to us for these last few years. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Now fast forward to this last week. We're sitting on the couch at home and Amy says, my Amy says, I just got this Facebook message from the girl that worked there. Here's what she says. Hi, so you may not know me, but Miss Beverly came to my job years ago and brought me the book, Redeeming Love, from you. And it was when I was working as an exotic dancer, and these, listen, these crazy church ladies came in bringing us dinner. I went home and read that book. God spoke to me so much in those pages. I have to tell you, thank you. And today, Miss Beverly and I went and saw the movie, Redeeming Love Together. And I wanted to reach out and just say, thanks for your obedience to God. He truly purifies. He truly loves. He truly rescues. He is my all in all. That's an incredible story. But, you know, it wouldn't have happened if somebody had not decided, you know, I need to help somebody hold their arms up. I need to walk along beside these people. The Lord has given me this vision to go into a place that I probably shouldn't be going. I probably shouldn't even be thinking about, but the Lord's given me this heart to reach these people, to walk in community with him, to love them. And through the obedience of Beverly and so many others like her, the Lord has used this situation and redeemed this precious woman's life for his honor and for his glory. It never would have happened if she hadn't been in community thinking about how can I reach this person with the name of Jesus Christ. What are you doing to reach people for Christ? Whose arms are you holding up in community for Jesus. Now, I need to finish up. Victory through prayer, right? Victory through community. Now, truth number three, victory through remembering. The Lord said to Moses, after the battle is won, after the victory has taken place, the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book And recited in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar and called the name of the Lord. The Lord is my banner. You know, there are going to be times in our lives when we forget the goodness of the Lord. There are going to be times in our lives we doubt our faith. We doubt our calling. Maybe that we even doubt if the Lord is real. And we need to be reminded sometimes of the good things he's done for us. The Lord said, listen, write this down and make a memorial so that you can remember. There's going to come a time where you're going to struggle. There's going to come a time where you're going to walk through another difficulty. You need to have written down somewhere on some level what the Lord has done for you before so you can look back at it and be remembered of his goodness now. If the Lord did it then... The Lord can do it now. He's demonstrated his faithfulness and his power and his majesty. He's led these people through the sea into the wilderness. Now victory in this battle. The Lord is our banner. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. When we trust him, when we follow him, when we love him, the Lord gives us great victories for his honor and for his glory. What are you doing for the kingdom? How are you finding victories for Christ? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your majesty, for your glory. We thank you for this account of the people of Israel as they wander through the wilderness, Father, the victory that they have because of you, Father, through their prayer and through the community and love of others. And then they remembered all that you've done for them. Lord, help this truth just to, rattle around in our hearts and minds this week as we trust you more, as our faith grows more and more in you. Father, do great things in our midst for the sake of your kingdom. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.